recently revelation by the Tantita Security Company owned by Tompolo, uh, who uncovered a massive facility. And they said that this facility cannot be done by any construction company. Way, way, way bigger than the capacity of Nigerians NNPC as it were. And this is an illegal oil uh, pipeline. There were the, the machines that was um, Ethan has been there for over seven decades of oil production. Three, two, one, yeah. Welcome to the Pan-African Institute podcast. This is our very first episode. If you're just um, joining us, thank you very much for joining. My name is Ijoma, and I'm not alone here. Um, Kingsley is here. Yeah, hello, guys. I'm fortunate here welcome. as well. Hello. Okay, so I'm just going to pass the ball to Fortune. So it's going to tell us about the Pan-African Institute movement as they were. Tell us what it's about and what you should be expecting from this podcast. Pan-African Institute is a consortium youth organizations and professionals whose sole mission is to effect social positive change for the younger African generation, ensuring they live a healthier, safer and more peaceful life by actively advocating on youth policies and youth issues while taking a critical look at the African youth sector. We are centered on community trustiveness, we are centered on public-private partnership, TPP, volunteerism, to create values in the African community, to change the narrative from what it was or what it used to be to what it should be, to create a sinner society for the African child. For I often say it is easier to build strong and young African children than to repair broken children. Thank you. So um, to chip into that, the very, very important part of the movement is also promoting entrepreneurship amongst African youth because that is a very, very important part of our existence as human beings. We need some form of capital. So we're, we're very interested in making sure that African youth engage in positive entrepreneurship activities. So that's an important part as well. Try something, you know, there's something we'll be promoting the album. Okay, so for today's discussion, I mean, charity begins at home, so we're going to be starting with Nigeria. And if we're going to be affecting some of these changes that we've talked about, I think the first thing that we need to look at is where we are coming from, because we cannot truly really make a change if we don't know where we are coming from. So that's what really informed this topic. So today we are looking at the bet of a country. All right, so there's been so many arguments about um, Nigeria, the history of Nigeria, and where Nigeria is, is that now where it's coming from. Most of the time when you try to trace um, the history of Nigeria, you trace it back to the amalgamation of 1914. But then, Nigerians existed long before Nigeria you know, was coined by Flora Shaw. So that's what we really want to, like, let's start from there, first of all, to start looking at the points that we can see that we had a country. Looking at the people, all of the indigenous people that make up Nigeria, and then looking at um, the fact that we had um, some kingdoms within Nigeria that we existed as far back as 800 BC, um, AD. So seeing that we've existed this long, can we really say that Nigeria started in 1914? At what point, like, let me start in case, at what point will you say that Okay, this is Nigeria. Is it at the point that we had the boundaries? Well, well, the name Nigeria was what we know. Um, we, we know it came about around 1914, mm -hmm. yeah, during the amalgamation. Well, the Nigerians per se, let me call them Nigerians now, they've been in existence way, way, way before that. Um, the British 
Um, they came in. They came into the the area we know as Nigeria today a lot earlier than that, and they were, um, it took them a while to to colonize the entire area. So during that whole struggle, they are trying to break the traditional leaderships, bring them under their control. So throughout that period, the Nigerians were there. Yeah. So the people were there already. So the name Nigeria was like um, <clears throat> something that came up. Mm-hmm. Because of the um, the location of the landmass, Niger area, the Niger area, yeah. So that's what formed the that baptism, mm. if I might say. But I'm sure Fortune has more to tell us about this. Okay, thank you. Um, I think uh, we've all done our own bits in explaining what Nigeria or how it got its baptism of. Fire on the light and <laughs> so um I think uh, I'd like to see from the lenses of our perceived uh, official founding fathers because I know that the struggle for an independent Nigeria didn't just start with the first three. Namja Sekiwe, Abafemi, our chief Abafemi, our know Dr. Namja Sekiwe and um, Sadwana, uh, the premier of the north. Premier of the north. Um, Amado Bello, thank you, my sister. I think it was three of them, they had a short opinion, because prior to them, there was Habat Makoli mm-hmm. and all whatnot. I think it was, I will know, said Nigeria is a mere geographical. One of his quotes, I stand to be corrected, where it's out there in the public domain, that Nigeria is um, a mere geographical and um, call it political or economic expression. I think Nambo uh, Zikiwa on his own part said that there are no people as Nigerian, there is no language as Nigerian, but then these are individuals of different parts that came together in unison to form a project Nigeria. I think Sadrana on his own end saw Nigeria as something similar to the initial two, see it as uh, different people who are independent nation states. So there was no point when Nigeria was an orientation of a people. Nigeria was a name, a nomenclature that, just like Kingsley said, it was a coinage of expression of the Niger area and all whatnot, the Royal Niger Company. But Nigeria, I think, has more to its indigenous people. I'd like to borrow that word. It has a lot of nation states, ancient kingdom, economic bones, rich traditional cultures of the people and i don't like because we will not be doing justice to these people to say that they are just nigerians because we had a thousand or one year history but yeah politically or officially there is a nigeria today that came into being in 1960 but then before nigeria they were ancient they were traditional they were royal they were the ancient uh, empire, the great Oyo empire, you can't restrict the great Oyo empire to be a geographic. It extended beyond the present day Nigeria into the Benin Republic, into other countries, about five, six countries. They were on the great Benin empire, one of the empires that had great attachments to Menkleja. They are the traditional Igbo empire. They are the, the whole lot and host of culture, the Nana of Delta, the Nana of Delta, the, a whole lot of people, a thousand and one. Nigeria is a country, if I may say, has the abundance of culture, resources, and languages that the 
present political history will have doesn't do justice to it. When I see people saying that Nigeria is made up of three major ethnic groups, it's so laughable. We know we have the last check, we have over 300, if I'm not mistaken, 300 to 400 ethnic groups in Nigeria, in just Kano State. So we can go on and on and on, but to get the drift, Nigeria, as it were, started as an economic interest. Like I believe from what these three founding fathers said, there are no people like Nigeria. They are Englishmen, they are Britons. These people own their ancestry to their name. But here in Nigeria, it was more like a name. We cannot do it with the plural tendency. We cannot do it with the royal major company tendency. We cannot do it with the Ivanaja tendency and the confluence of Benue and all whatnot. But it depends on the scope and limitation of this discourse. Other than that, we we'll talk from now until the donkey is about Nigeria as a subject. So I think we should take stringent points to discuss on how Nigerian came into being because if you're talking about the area Nigeria and then you take it back to the Berlin Conference of 1885 but then it didn't just comprise just Nigeria. If you're talking about the present geographical Nigeria, you know that preach that independence, we lost some parts to the the I think the Cameroon mm-hmm. with the issue of the Bakasi and all whatnot. So there's been a lot of um here and there back and forth on the project Nigeria. But depending on where this discourse is going to I think I'd have to leave it there for now. Okay, that, let's actually look at the people in Nigeria. I mean, I mean, you said a lot that I hope that in the course of this show we are going to really like explore. Yeah. yeah. So looking at the people, Nigeria, the people, the Nigerians themselves, we, how did we come? Because we can say it's the Berlin Conference, but the Berlin Conference, what basically what it did was put a border around the people that were already settling in an area. So they were already in that area. So we're looking at these people now. Who were these people? Who are the people that we now know as Nigerians? And what really did the British do? What did they do when they came in during the British invasion? Now, um, we know like the North now, for example. Um, in as much as when the British came, they changed the landmark as it was known because they, they divided it um, based on the River Niger and the River Benue to form the, the Northern Nigeria and the Southern Nigeria. But that's like, uh, fortunately, like to say that history. Yeah. Now, what is our story, uh-huh. right? Now we know that the Northerners, the Kanem Borno and the original Asalans, that they settled west of Lake Chad, which is why we're actually West Africa. So these people were people that settled. It was it was Lake Chad that was actually the landmark that you know these people settled. Yeah, and they stayed there with the Sao people, and we know that eventually these people became Islamized. And let's not. Um, take it away that the Aosa lands, the Kanembornos, the Jukun, the Gala, the Nupe, all of these people did what the British claimed to do with the, you know, with the um, creating of the Northern Protectorate. Osman Danfodio was able to unite all of these people peacefully to form the Sokoto Caliphate. Not peacefully. Well, not, not, well, yes, there was a harmony. They were living peacefully as Sokoto Caliphates, right? That was they were living under the Sokoto Caliphate. Okay, they were living not necessarily peacefully. Okay, so they were living under the Sokoto Caliphate, with the exception of uh, Borno. Borno was not increasing in this. Borno was all conquered. Borno had the show, but at some point he was also conquered. Yeah, but Borno, I, I think Borno was even the first. They were the first settler. Yeah, they were the first settlers, but like I said, at some point in the history of time, because there's always a saying that. The conqueror history. 
at some point in the life of the ancient Borono Empire, just like the Oyo Empire later fell. Mm -hmm. With the Afonja war in Kwara, there was some point where the, the once trade route of West Africa for transition on the empire was on. Okay, so, so this um, religion actually posed a challenge um, as well as other things. So we're going to come to that. I don't know if you want to add anything, but before, like, um, we want to look at the challenges. Let's look at the British conquest proper. Now, this invasion, this conquest of Nigeria, didn't happen overnight. It was a premeditated um, conquest. And it, it lasted over a while. Do you understand? And it took a while. So we want to look at how this started, how this invasion started. Now, we know that uh, the British first touched Lagos. It was Lagos that they came into. Yeah. And then they came as traders. They came as missionaries. You know, they came as um, British officials. You know, basically, some of the things that we are still seeing today, you know, Coming under these guys, they came in and they were coming there to um, help the, the interests of the British Empire. In Nigeria. Nigeria. Economic interest. But it, it was not fronted. That was not the front. You know, the economic interest wasn't really the front. They came well, as well, other things. Well, the missionaries came, yes. Oh, no. Even though they they, they like to paint the picture that the missionaries were completely independent of the administrative forces that followed. You were very but, instrumental. Yeah, but I, I, like to, I like to believe that the missionaries came ahead to soften the ground mm. for the guns. What are the ground? Make, so, make them more acceptable. Yeah. So, yeah, so the, the missionaries came, they were very good to the people, they provided free education. That we are bringing um, the medicine, prepare the minds of the people. The people were now more acceptable to this white man that they saw. They were looking at as a. So look the fact that they came with they came with um, foreign traditions and foreign gods. You're right, and uh, another uh, version of history because I think most of what we're seeing that is one of the reasons we thank goodness that such platform like ours is here and now to change the narrative for our story as against his story. And even the history, most of us know that the school curriculum in Nigeria and African city-states countries has scrapped history of the indigenous people. So on that note, I beg to digress. This account of the West or the British coming in with uh, the missionaries, another account of oral history said that there were bombardment first. And mind you, it wasn't just the British first. The British were yeah. more strategic about it. I think in the 14th, early 14th century, if you go somewhere to the ancient Bidi Empire, there's a cathedral built on to venerate the then Oba and a, a Christian, a Christian-like um, uh, church setting. It's called um, the Cathedral of, Abba. I can't get the right word then. It was built in the 15th century. I think they started, actually, our first influence, recorded influence over the Portuguese in 14th yeah. century. It came for the trade of spice, and I think the Benins were doing so very well, and they also had Amory, spirit, they had good iron and ore. But then they just came, they did the coastal trade and all whatnot, along with the bite of Biafra and Benin, and they left. But then these other Buccaneers and, um, I rather use the word Buccaneers and pirates, they also came and they saw that these people, there was an expression that said that this land is so bounty. They had a lot of resources and they had to go back. 
the tale had to go back because that was at the point the west when i mean the west i'm talking about the europe uh the northern southern eastern europe they were looking for materials i think that was prior to the industrial age they had not they were, they were at some points in britain they said they had a scarcity of sugar they had scarcity of tea so they were out on the voyage to get they were on the verge of industrialization exactly. so they needed raw material they needed raw the industrial they needed the, the the englishman was addicted to his tea but uh, he has a uh, scarcity of them so we were all out there were a lot of state-sponsored voyages mm -hmm. that had they had to go inside there that's so, exploration so like an expedition this, this exploration of the right choice of war this exploration led to the people who had the contact with this and you know there were a lot of treats host treaty there are people who discover some people you have to pay them to tell you what these people are all about so i think there are less people who got in touch with nigeria and their trading system was the portuguese though there's another part of history who said it was the dutch that introduced the trading or the negotiation system and that's what i'm trying to say they are different countries. i think the portuguese were actually the first but not, not as the not, portuguese, not yeah. an invasion yeah. like yeah. like as the not yeah. to settle they didn't come to the they came to trade i agree i'm just saying that there are different versions of history yeah there yeah, were some heads like one guy who said that predated that there were other uh, contacts with the netherlands the dutchmen mm. which you cannot be far from the truth because if we talk about this book and you know the Boers. Yes. Yeah, I think the Boers, the one, the Barbarians and all the Boers. They are the Dutch. Yeah, the Dutch. They were the guys, the Boers, yeah. The the Boers precious to know whatnot. They said those guys were the earliest who even in they were the guys who started um, being they were into um, following the right choice of over They were the guys who introduced the trading system. I mean the international trading system, the negotiation system, what was sold for what? before the Portuguese now led on their own. But then you likes of the Portuguese now came and did this short-term trading. I think oil palm, because there's always been a quest for oil. They know that they don't have oil. It was palm oil then. Palm oil was gold. Yeah. And the Portuguese did their, did their bit. I felt at some points in their own expansionism, they had their own internal crises, perhaps issue of leadership and espionage and trading of information. Perhaps they sold some of this information to the British, which, or the British somehow got a hold of this information through what I just said, Kuvinta intra-government espionage. Saw this document and say, oh wow, there's a gold mine somewhere. We'll have to be strategic about it. Okay, you need to lead the country. I, I, think, I think it's not even just about the espionage because at the point that the British came here, the slave trade was already ongoing. So, of course, you can't, the Indians must have got around. I think this was, this was during the balkanization of Africa. Yeah. Exactly. We're all saying the same thing. But what I want to tell you, that what I want to finish you see a little bit of history is that the, you can't take away the role of espionage. Oh, no the state's politics or in these policies of leadership. It's been there as far back as the Bible. We mostly had to send some spies to go check out the new land. Yeah, that's, that's a point. That's a fact you can't take away from. So whether they were uh, slavery or not, the espionage system would have been the way those guys had to take the the meal or the, what do you call it, the, the, the biggest uh, milking cow that the Portuguese had because you can't tell me that Portuguese would have just slept on such opportunity as Nigeria. Something would have happened that led to the British to go do their homework, 
particularity that came up with this protectorate system because that's not what that's what we're not we're always overlooking. No, but they didn't start like this is the thing. They did not come in and start a protectorate. Yes, they started they, with they a settlement. Yes. Before and in, I think it it kind of expanded into the protectorate as time went by. Because okay. that was not the original intention. No. We're talking about original intention is where I want to bring into Esponia. There's always a short, medium and long term goal in every Esponiad. So the point there was that they had designed all the system. I think colonization has always but, been... Yes. Colonization has that, always been the agenda. Exactly. It was now the means. Yes. How to... Try it. It. So they needed to devise a strategic means, like I said, to these people who had a lot to trade in their shoreline, in their bite of their in their bite of their shoreline, that if they could get into them, there was one of the expressions that in the earliest uh, uh, colonialist, uh, uh, I think it was Lugard who wrote something saying, well, in Lugard or the guy who did that of America and said that the Red Indians were willing to give out their hearts to express how magnanimous the Red Indians were. So we also have the same weakness according to these documents I'm talking about. These are unofficial oral history that said that they, they, they defined the African man as a man living in bounty that could give trade, even the trading agreements they had, they always had a way of, they said it was the African that had this coinage of this Jara mentality that was the African that always gives something after trading. I don't know, I had to, to tell you that he's coming from a place that there's no way in the world where you buy something in the West and it's established that you get and extra. So now they saw that these people were living in bounty. They said, oh wow, if we could have a social engineered way we can get to them, we first bombard them. That's what I'm trying to say. They could go with the bombardment and after a couple of weeks when you have casualty, they're moving with their missionary to say, oh, these are some criminal French guys. That, that what this now happened at the level of the, the Berlin conference. Everybody had to go and find out how to, after the partition. But I'm just trying to say that Another part of history didn't just say that the missionaries first came. They said the missionaries came with AIDS. So what happened? Why was the aid needed? It was a bombardment. Uh, now, they came with the narrative that this, if you were where the English missionaries came, they would have to tell you the story that the bombardment were by the French okay. guys. And now that these French guys, are, they are monsters, they are these, you don't need to work with them, you need to come under our flag, we'll protect you and down the argument of protector came into play. Because now they have used their combo diplomacy, you've seen their bodies of realities, and they're telling you that they're innocent of this, that they believe in God, but this was, they are enemies, enemies who, and they're here to save you, you have to run into their shelter, and that was how our people got, could win. And there are different versions. I'm not yeah, saying they, this they, is they, altruistic they, version. There's actually a truth to this. I know that, uh... There were, you know, even intra intra community clashes and inter community clashes in Nigeria. Then I know that for for one, I think there was one in um, in oil. There was a famous clash that the British intervened and brought about peace in you know in that community. But following this peace that they brought about, they came with a treaty that stipulated that all of these these issues should come to the British governor of Lagos to be settled. And then they were making these communities sign this treaty sign away their ownership 
I do not general. Trust me, if you dig deeper, you will not just find out that they make peace. Because when you say a British man making peace, it's quite laughable. No, they cannot. They, they, they make peace because, because they had they had their interest. I have something of like they had mines, they had the guns, and they and they had well out economic interest. I, yes, I have something of notes to bring to this fall about the English man. No offenses, men. If you go to, I think. Um, uh, is it the museum of the Ariwa Museum in Kano or so? There was a door. They said it's a traditional palace door of the Emir of Kano's palace. They said it had impact of guns, bullets. Yeah, they do by bullets. And they said that that, that door was Sadwana. Excuse me, it was Sadwana who went to Europe, I mean, UK, and requested the Ibu brought back. Use it to tell their story, and the story because I was watching the documentary, I think in Nigerian network service NT, and they do this cultural thing. And they all said that the British man, there's a famous scene that the British man that never never knocks on the door, that the British man never knocks on the door. So that door, that door is an instance of the that's why that's when a British man walks through the door, uh-huh. you will see the impact of his walking. So, talking about if you dig deeper to that issue, or I'm agreeing what you're saying, but in other ending to that, if you dig deeper. From the story of saying they're making peace, we would have asked ourselves what caused the conflict in the first instance. These are the people who I tell you. For no, they were living together, they have issues. These are the people I'm saying that they could engineer these issues. They are the people who, because if you get to understand that most protests today, in fact, virtually all protests are sponsored, if you understand. So now, these protests are by indigenous people, of course. They're going to use indigenous people. So, but then, what people living in harmony waking up tomorrow to say, not like they're not healthy disagreements, they're not healthy competition. But I'm saying, that particular one, you said the British man came, or the British came to Middle Peace in. If it wasn't for that treaty, they wouldn't have been the conflict in the first place. It depends. It depends. I mean... There are inter-community clashes. Yeah. We still have that in Nigeria. They, that was the Kitibara poll. Yeah, that was the actual prevalent. It was 15 years running. Yeah, in the tribal war. I'm not saying that they could not have taken sides and foiled the uh, disagreement. Yeah, but even before the British, those wars were... Existed. With, with, yeah. Nigerians were not living in peace because they were not even Nigerian. Expansionism is one of the basic traits of human nature. You want to go bigger. So you just have people with the god powder. I think the work... These other guys are they were the big guns, like the yeah. The, the, I think those this situation just pre, pre, uh, presented an opportunity for the British to come in and take over that region. The, the British they came in. Most of their interests at that time were their trade route. Mm-hmm. They were, yeah, they were interested in palm oil at yeah. the time. So anything that will disrupt their palm oil business or them getting their palm oil. Yeah. Was a problem for them. Exactly. So most it was of this threat. That yeah, to me, it was a threat. Yeah. So most of these tribal wars that we are going on, it was a problem for their business. It was a trading problem. Yeah. Because so, at some point, the the was his name, the um, judge of Opobo, yeah. to be exact, because yeah. he had a lot of trading disagreements. He said, "Oh, that's right. Okay. He was killed. Yeah. He was angry and later killed." But the point I wanted to say is that every single thing, like uh, Brother Chuck Kingsley said, is centered on the trade interest of it, on the commercial interest. It's nice that you are mentioning this trade now. So it, it, the trade itself, we, we know that they, they didn't really settle then because they had a prevailing problem in Nigeria, which was the mosquitoes, that did not allow them to settle. Something that um, other, yeah. other people on exploration or expedition finally got around to. But 
because of this, they had middlemen in this trade. Now, the problem with the middlemen was that this middlemen monopolized the entire system. Yes, they monopolized. And so the British started looking for a way to circumvent this middlemen and go directly, but they did not know. Middlemen are the likes of Jada Nana Bishakiri, yes. Those were the people. And we know what happened with these people. Even these people were forced to sign treaties. Exactly. Trading treaties. So it's not like the middle. The middlemen also had their own share of the travels. We know also what they went through, but the British were on a constant. They don't know that these middlemen, what were they getting? Fragment. I mean, yes. You had. If they were so rich after all, their families, the money could have spilled over, they could be a trickle down economics. But then it's just giving someone a, a portion of bread because he lives in flamboyancy and he drinks whiskey. If the one eyed man in the land of the blind, exactly. And you now come and see the middleman. But the point, um, I like the conversation we have had at this point. This conversation wasn't just, it's, it resonates in our mind for we to know that we. The applicants are the price. It's quite unfortunate to know that they started with trade. They needed what we have, but today we talk about aid. Oh. Did we get it? We started with trade. Now it's aid. I know somebody who knows that you have. I mean, with the recent revelation by the Tantita Security Company, owned by a comrade um, Tompolo, uh, who uncovered, uh, I'd rather use the word unedited. Uh, a massive facility, or you, you call it this, is 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 that theory? I don't know the right word. Is the massive kind of theft you find? They say that this facility cannot be done by any construction company. That is way 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 bigger than the capacity of Nigerians NNPC as it were, and this is an illegal oil uh, pipeline. There were the, the machines that was Ethan um, has been there for over 70 kids of oil production and it has been running concurrently with Nigerians uh, supposed oil estimation and we are being told that we are not meeting our OPEC demand. So you found out that this corruption, this trading whatever has never been on a fair trading system. That it was a system that was designed at the end of the day that they gave us a trading leaking bag. And they were giving us items that were leaking from our bags and they end up shaming us. So let's have to understand that this trade wasn't even a fair trade in the first instance. Mm. It was an exploitative kind of trade. Where not just were they bombarding you with the treaties, you don't understand what it is. They bring the likes of Orlando, Equano. You go pick some of the trading partners. They are, I had one of the uh, uh, ex agitators and think he uh, what was his name from Panakot, Asari Dokubo, saying that his grandfather, uh, uh, Alabo, had a, a coin that was used in exchange for him. But so the point of I had sneeze and all whatnot, the point is that these people, in, in, in retrospect, designed a trading system that evolved around them, but they used the faces of black men to put up there as their trading partner when these people were just mere plantation. So these people were not the real ones cashing out. And, 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 and at a point, they, they, I think they felt like these people were also, like it was not getting, like you said, the real prizes were the Africans. And because they weren't able to pay me. Good. The expansionism mindset needed to go for that. If it wasn't good, they would have shut down the operation. Uh -huh. But they knew that it was good. 
they needed to go beyond what they were currently getting. So they needed to pay the 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 they call them the scholars to think they pay the think tanks, they pay the the strategies, they pay the espionage, they were a lot of funding to see that this thing is institutionalized. That was when the conversations keep growing from the initial trading to say, oh, 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 I think we had a lot of oh, resources now. We need to institute a government for these people. We need to create, because they initially, no, they, the trading conflict ended with the registration of the real Niger company. Yes, the, I, I, was, I was guessing I would that. say it ended. It's really small, like... It did it, not end it, with registration. If it was even fashion, it was now... That company. Now there was a whole lot of conflict. Actually, Royal Niger Company ended because of the trading conflict. When I said Royal Niger Company, it was actually a metaphorical statement. Oh. There was a Niger Company. Yeah, there was before a Royal Niger. Before the Royal Niger. Now, why it's said about ending is that we know that this same organization that has been there from the beginning of the problem has. It shifted over time, and we have it today, drinking from their water, having them in our departmental stores as in today's Unity. Yes, yeah. yes, USC and Unilever Company, yeah. as it were, headquartered in UK, London rather. Now, why I said it ended is that was like the saying the beginning of the end or the end of the beginning. When they were doing all this trading, even when Africa was partitioned along the lines of Benin Conference, you still had French poking their nose yes. from other yes. territories. So what I mean, the end was that it now institutionalized these guys to say, we have hoisted our flag, and you people are not respecting this flag, which was a protectory flag. Now we needed to ginger the natives and make it look like they are taking responsibility and we are funding them, but then it will be a more of mental. So the end thereof is not an in total end. It was a physical end. If it's some presence of monopoly was established, it was no longer French in cautioning in British trade in Nigeria as it were. But then it was Royal Niger Company in charge of the, the ceramics. So the end I'm talking is not end in verbatim i'm talking the end like the whole streets and trunk it was a harmonization okay so i think getting to this point yeah. i think we should throw more light on the royal yeah since it has come up let's actually discuss what 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 the royal Niger company and what they are they doing what role did they play what's the role they came to thank you why i said it ended with the royal Niger company is that the royal Niger company is the genesis like the beginning of the end it was where the feet of the Nigerian people were sealed. And I made reference to see the ship shifters that up to today you have them in charge. When I mean in charge, literally all, not just cosmetic products, all our natural resources. You have them in the Nescap, you have them in the Unilever, you have them everywhere. But then these people was, were not just a company like every other company. Renaissance Company was more like a corporation that has a lot of political vested interest. We have now had this, yes. I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't just say they had vested interest. They were the interest of no. really. Why I'm, I, I'm using 
my words that we you, I bet you sure do have your your the right for your opinion on choice of words. I said they had this vested interest. They looked as though they were corporate entities, but then what they were doing is they come and establish a presence of imperialism that were held to help for they leave you with degraded environment, they leave you with decimated cultures, they impose values on you. And even at the end of the day, you're thinking that you're making something where you're actually making nothing, you're far worse. So now, Royal Niger Company, they keep hearing it. We keep seeing it in our houses. Each and every one of us has a product of their Bible acts. What is a major CSR, a company that has been in the shores of this Nigeria for over two centuries. When I mean two centuries, I'm talking about 200 years. So I think something we should note here, the Royal Niger Company, the role they played back then, uh, pre-colonial Nigeria, is more like the role, it's more like um, the kind of arrangement Nigeria has with people they give lease of their oil wells. They basically give you a concession to go and operate this area carry out your economic activities, pay tax back to us. So basically, I, I feel like that is my impression of the ledger company. But I, I agree with what Kingston is saying. The, this, the Royal Niger Company, we are there because the British did not want to directly be there. Yes. So they brought in these people to stay there, trade on their behalf. But these people were not interfering in any of the local. They were just purely independent in just, it was, it was purely business. It was like a business. But, yes. but it wasn't just business for the British because that also gave them, you know, settling there. The Renault Niger company wasn't just trading. They were also getting people to sign treaties, signing away and saying this is controlled by this area, this yeah. is controlled by this. this. Because there was an indirect... They were in control of the area. The British gave them a concession. Yeah, so con the British was ruling indirectly through the Royal Niger company. The con the area. Yeah, area, that's imperialism. Administer it, carry out trade, and return proceeds you to You can separate the Royal Niger Company from the struggle of independence because the whole disbandment or taking the way there was a point, they said the charter of the Royal Niger Company was revoked. Yeah. And later, it was repeated, and they give them back the same revoked charter, and it was exchanged from Niger Company to Royal Niger Company. Yeah. Royal Niger Company. Then, uh, there was even a National African Company before that. No, the point here is most of the treaty they held was not held on behalf of Nigeria and Britain. It was not held on behalf of, that's where I said the Englishman is one of the smartest. No, when I mean smart, not in a good sense, smart in a witty way. They used this company to secure a lot of trading. It was to protect themselves. When I said secure this trading thing, they push it out there. They come, people, they wrote their government rail to like in the Real Niger Company. The, the whole taxation, they overtaxed the people. They weren't just yeah. exploiting. Uh, no, I, I was actually, I saw somewhere where even the and the Abal Memorial just reminded me of the brass people yeah. that actually, yeah, that also revolted against them because in the area, in, these people had a means of survival, a means of livelihood. They depended on their trade because they could not go anything on their land. And prior to the... To give introspect to the man on the street listening to the influence of our voice, the real manager company outside this big ground were like the people who came, a visitor who came into your house, you offered him a sumptuous meal, a good hospitality, 
And in the course of your sleep, a magic happened. You woke up under chains. You had to pay rent in your house. Mm -hmm. You had to pay a tax for fishing in your ancestral lake. You could not even trade with your neighbors because you there was illegal. Lot, there were a lot of draconian laws. And when you ask questions, you are shut up. Like the the then Oba Akinola of Lagos. The then and his younger brother came in and they will put it like this was an internal democracy mm -hmm. but we know there is no such thing as internal yeah. democracy they got the studio while doing their video no if we understand it that the problem of Nigeria like I said the Royal Niger Company was the end the end metaphorically might begin to make sense now to the Nigerian man that that your end is the Royal Niger Company. Excuse me. That your end is the Royal Niger Company, and the Royal Niger Company is your end. I think that in similar times, a lot of struggle should have been directed towards preparation from this company. That is here, we can ask questions. What have you done? You can see present governments, they send a new a new tax law that tells Dangote to build Obajanaru, that tells NTL to build Sapiru. What one single project, like the Second Niger Bridge, like the Eastern Corridor Rail Line, there is no single infrastructural project that this company has done and they have been here amassing our resources and it has been there. It was them that started all this thing. It was them that even organized, funded the European interest. It was them that, so to speak, people who say, give Nigeria the angry friend there. Because I had a friend who was talking and right on a lighter note, call it a beer parlor conversation. I said, Nigeria, other people, serious countries fought for the angry friend there, but they gave Nigeria our angry friend there. Are you even sure that the document they gave you, what is, was the content? What did they sign? Are you sure you have any such thing as independence? That brings us to the Nigerian question. There are a lot of why, what if, what transpired. Because you can't tell me we are Nigerians without telling me what thought of as Nigerians in the first place. There must be some sense of patriotism. You can't tell somebody to be responsible when there is no duty bequeathed, when there is no interest, when there is no sense of belonging given to that man. So it brings us to the fore, this conversation of how did we get here? Uh, okay, so I mean, I like so far how you've been able to push this conversation and then we're getting to this point. Now, you said something when you said that the, the Royal Niger Company cannot isolate them from the struggles of Nigerians and our independence. And that's very true because we know that the end, as it were, was the beginning. So the end of the Royal Niger Company, which even came about because uh, the head of the Royal Niger Company, Goldie, then, um, after the revolt of the brass people, needed the um, Chamberlain cloud, I think, to intervene and he refused. And at that point, the French had already invaded Busa, which was on the verge of, you know, the, the next point was basically to get into that Niger protectorate and the British were all about, yes, trying to protect their boundary. And then when Godi could not do what was needed of him, I think that was when they revoked their charter. And it's important for us now to know that one, a staff of this Royal Niger Company Lord Lugard became the first governor general of Nigeria and the one, you know, we are crediting with amalgamation of the Northern and the Southern Protectorate. And he was the one who actually pushed 
the French back, which was why he was, you know, given this position. And then what he, they had succeeded in doing afterwards, they had been able to use religion, push Christianity to get the South into that Niger protectorate. But they had problems with places like Elori and... Um, yeah, on your... Yes, places like this, which also were part of the Sokoto Caliphate then. It was difficult for them to control these areas because they were part of the Sokoto Caliphate. The Sokoto Caliphate, as we already knew, was united by Islam. Yes, they were united by... That was their religion. So we already know that that missionary approach did not really, could not penetrate... Um, the Alsa lands, the Sokoto Caliphate, as they were, they, it was difficult for them to um, commit. The yeah, no, not, not the different. No, the British. British no, the British. But we have already established that the Royal Niger Company was an indirect rule by the British. So it's, it's really Britain. Now let's not let's not make it more difficult because I, I, with all due respect, I'm. I feel so little discussing amongst intellectual giants. So we'll have to consider the man on the street who is listening to us and oh. give some layman instances. Now, I think with what you said, that while the Royal Manager Company was a pseudonym or a fakir, the front that award where the British used to get their interest from Nigeria. It is also worthy of note to know that the easiest way or the easiest people or the people who showed little or no resistance was the was the not. That is what I want to establish. I, I understand that. Because direct rule system. We had, there was autonomy in the South. Now, now, it was even very, because before I heard that before they could get in order to protect it, it was so easy. They only did a central command from the candidates. They did that. But with the South, it took more time. The protectorate would have... The, another protectorate was in 1906. Huh. Huh? Huh. Then, the South, I think, was in 19... Towards the end of the 19th century. It, not just towards the end of the 19th It was 14 that they now made. I think it was even the emergence of Donald and the South. Just like the yeah, Niger Delta struggle and the and my beloved comrade Tompolo had to give in, throw in the towel a, a day before the expiration of the amnesty. So the South were like the people who were even pushed. They had so what I'm saying in essence is that we have to establish the fact that they never had any rancor in the northern system. They, everything everybody uh, 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 followed the chain of command, but in the South. We had the, I've forgotten the war. Is it the, the one they fought in Abia? Yeah. Arrow War. Arana, yes, nation states who pulled a lot of. So, but they had some sort of presence in the South already. They had absolutely no presence in the North before the. the Where's the dead? Something. The, it's not about presence. What, we, what you're talking is you're doing head counts uh. of perhaps the white men who were in the north and those who were in the south. But it also might interest you that it was even more hospitable for them in the north. Yeah. Because those ones who were in the south were more like he was sending their guards, their miniature, the, their mini, the miniatures of the Rayan Niger Company, or more of a, a physical force, the kind of soft force that was present, just like you have a present in Nigeria, where you go to the southern country, you say, ah, 
are we in a war zone? But all the major military commands are in the north. But when you find out that we train these people in the north and they go to war in the south, you understand? Yeah. So, but you cannot come and say uh, that all the military are in the north. What are they, they are doing in the north is they are being trained in the north and they are sent. Also, might what I'm trying to say in essence is that this Royal Idea Company and the British knew exactly what they understood the people. They were they are psychoanalysts, according to Lugard's uh, 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 documentation about the northern and the southerner. He said the northern doesn't have a problem. Southerner is a republic. He might tell you something today, tomorrow he would be a victim of his reason to have a retort. <laughs> but even if the other guy, why well, that's that's not to I mean to be fair on anybody who is under the influence of my voice. The point here is that these people knew and pride on each of our weakness as black people. So they knew people who are gullible and they had to empower the gullible ones and made them see that this empowerment they had is threatened by the rational ones. So it becomes a rift amongst people where you should be coming together under the Ubuntu spirit to say, who is even this person sowing the seed of discord? Why can't we live side by side by neighbor? The analogy, the, the analogy, the analogy of, the analogy of, uh, uh, the northerner is my problem, the southerner is my problem, is something we need to first decongest from our mind. A black man is your brother. It is only when the black man becomes a threat to your welfare would you have to see him as otherwise. So I think that under anybody under the influence of the voice of what we're saying should know that this program is not here to pitch the north against the south, the east against the west, or any part of the country. We're here to discuss our common patrimony. We're here to know how we got here. So in that same vein, I'd like to conscientize us and call on our voice of reason to understand that why Nigerians today all over the world are at the top of their class, are at the top of anything they are doing, is because of the resilience we have as a people. It's because of the gift the Prime Creator has endowed on each and every one of us. And now, if we reflect on how our people outside the shores of Nigeria are doing so very well in different fields, we will ask a question, which is why? And this why is why did we, or why do we not do better in our own environment? And this will lead me to recommend you to a book written by a Pan-Africanist, a professor of political economy and political science, Walter Rodney, which is how he wrote underdeveloped Africa. Uh, we in the political science department and social science students often refer it as the Bible, the Bible of every African comrade, the Bible of every African youth, the Bible that will tell you the kind of abilities you have that the syndrome of Japaism is actually, I had to borrow that word, is actually used to make you scared of your 
God-given innate abilities to leave the resources that are surrounding you. But once you go outside, where they are stuck, where they have built with uh, spoils of wars and loots and slavery, you will thrive. But here, you are meant to see that you are staying in darkness. When I tell you it is not darkness, because it is no use, like I said, it is no use saying you know that these people has done, your people are not good. It is no use saying you know how you can do better outside the shores of a country if you cannot put it to good use, if you cannot put your abilities to good use here. So we're conscientizing our people, first off, to know why we are here, what got us here, and now to use those information to create values and solutions for our immediate environment. Thank you very much for listening. All right. I think he was speaking for himself when he said we political students. Yes, yes. <laughs> because I know some juggernauts won't. My I'm, I'm not a political student. All right. It's been an interesting conversation. I mean, we've been looking at um, Nigeria, how we got our identity and how the British really came into the picture and the challenges they also faced in colonizing us. Okay, so um, it's been a very, very exciting episode. This, this is our first episode, and um, I, I, I like the direction we took it to. Um, subsequent episodes will be dishing out a lot more knowledge about our African ancestry, what has gotten us so far, the journey so far, um, and preferring solutions as well to the many challenges we are facing because there are a lot of challenges facing us today as Africans and the, the objective of this podcast is to help provide solutions so we are solution oriented as well so signing out um, see you guys in the next episode um, in this other end you know uh, one of the cultures of being a comrade is that you try to make the environment a little bit a fever scent <laughs> now I, I wouldn't want to see one bazaar for everybody who's on <laughs> the influence of my voice. But then, for you to know, this is more like um, uh, people do their Sunday schools on Sunday. This is our own kind of a church because it is not for Christians. It is not for Muslims. This is not for the Buddhist. It is for every black man. That is why this program is anchored on raising stronger black children rather than repairing broken men and women, which a lot of them around us now on that note i would want to thank everybody who is under the influence of our voice trying to give you was as a comrade when i know say everything we nigerians they go through east north west or south yeah. all of us are the same people you understand well, make nobody i guess use broken now Make nobody deceive you. Say, make you carry, go and carry, match it. Go for know your brother, fight. Politicians will come and go, Nigerian, and the black race will remain the same. So, on a closing note, get a seat. He see your seat belt. It's a bumpy ride. Trust me, an adventurous one. Oh, fast words to just Very soon, we'll leave this our British English. I'll begin to devour issues. Critical issues is a matter. Exactly. So, thank you, thank you, thank you, my people. For Wanna hear you go?